Welcome to the Woman Warriors Podcast, where we're working to help you call a truce with your anxiety. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, here's your host, Elizabeth Cush, LCPC. Welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Cush, and today we are going to be talking with Joanne Bagshaw. But before we get started, uh, I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following us on social media. You can find us at Woman Warriors on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also sign up for the newsletter and get updates on the podcast and my monthly blog. You can find that at womanwarriors.com at the bottom of the page. There should be a sign up there. If there's not, and I'm misremembering that somehow, you can go to progressioncounseling.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and there's a newsletter sign up there. I also offer a free guide for meditation for worried women. So if you're the kind of person who struggles with meditation or maybe have never tried meditation or think that you're just someone who can't meditate, guess what? This guide is for you and it's free. And you also get a bonus of how to bring mindfulness into your everyday life. So. How do you get that? Go to progressioncounseling.com or womanwarriors.com. Again, at the bottom of the page, I think there is also a link at the top of the page that says, send me my free guide. So fill that out and that will get emailed to you directly to your inbox. So today, my guest, Joanne Bagshaw, is a true woman warrior She is out there educating and helping us learn how to be good feminists and advocate for women's rights, all women's rights out there in the world. She is also an award-winning professor of psychology and women's studies at Montgomery College here in Maryland. She is an ASECT certified sex therapist with a private practice in Maryland, and she's the author of The Feminist Handbook. Practical Tools to Resist Sexism and Dismantle the Patriarchy. And she writes the popular feminist blog, The Third Wave, for Psychology Today. Before specializing as a sex and relationship therapist, Joanne was a trauma therapist working primarily with rape and sexual assault, intimate partner violence, and adults who were abused as children. Joanne brings her nearly two decades of experience as a therapist to help clients transform their relationships and lead happier, healthier lives. I am very excited to have this conversation about feminism and how the patriarchy is impacting women's mental health and all of our mental health. So let's jump in. 
Hi, Joanne, and welcome to the Woman Warriors podcast. Hi, well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on and excited to get started talking about your work, but also about your book. But before we get started, if you could tell the audience, our listeners, a little bit about you and what inspired you to do the work that you do. Sure. So I'm a college professor. I teach psychology and women's studies at Montgomery College. Um, and I've been teaching for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. I'm also a therapist. I've also been a therapist for 20 years. So most of my practice, I was a trauma therapist. And then in the last few years, I re-specialized as a sex and relationship therapist. Wow. And certainly my influence, my experience being a therapist has influenced writing the feminist handbook. Mm. Um, particularly all the years that I worked with trauma. So when I was a trauma therapist, I focused primarily on working with women who had been sexually assaulted um, and in intimate partner violence, and as well as adults who were abused as children. Yeah. But through, throughout all the range of my therapy experiences, I found that women question what is wrong with them throughout the developmental stages of their lives in ways that I've never heard men question. Hmm. So women who are uh, dating and can't find the right person wonder what's wrong with them. Mothers at all stages, new mothers, mothers of middle schoolers, mothers of college students all wonder to some degree, what is wrong with me? I'm not a perfect mother. Hmm. Uh, women who've had trauma, who have who still experience residual effects of a sexual assault from 20 years ago, wonder what is wrong with them. Oh, yeah. I work with women who contort themselves to fit into a marriage or relationship that is centered primarily on the male partner's needs. And they wonder, why am I not sexually attracted to my husband anymore <laughs> when he so clearly is not interested in her emotional needs or changing to meet them? And so this book is really, um, it's like a workshop um, of how to understand that there is nothing wrong with you. And the saying that I have in the book that I like to repeat when I'm talking about the book is that it's, it's not you, it's the patriarchy. Yeah. It's the system designed to make you feel like there's something wrong with you so that women spend inordinate amount of energy and time trying to fix ourselves. Mm. when there's nothing wrong with us and yeah. we're just trying to fix ourselves through diets and changing the way we look and changing the way that we are. Um, we're not looking at the systems in place that are making us unhappy. Yeah, boy, so powerful. Like I, I, you know, I too, I, well, I primarily work with anxious women, overstressed, overwhelmed, over anxious women. And that theme of, right, what's wrong with me mm -hmm. is so strong, is so present. It's so much there. And I've experienced that myself, 100%. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah. It's yeah. A, uh, we're not immune to it. It comes oh. at us in all different directions. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, and, and even just one saying, okay, it's not me. Um, I'm still reminding my clients. I, I feel like a big part of my job, even as a therapist is to tell my clients how normal they are. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not the opposite. Like, yes. yes, of course, of course you feel this way. Yeah. Um, 
what, you know, one experience with a client with, uh, who was living, you know, in, in an abusive relationship and diagnosed with depression. And she was like, well, see, there's something wrong with me. I have depression. Well, well, no, depression is adaptive when you are in an abusive relationship. Right. Because what else are you supposed to feel, right? So, yeah. you know, being joyful would be unusual. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So yeah. true, though. But yes, we're so willing to, yeah, find fault or look for the problem within versus mm-hmm. like, let's see what's happening outside, you know, whether it's something I've created, like, constantly meeting other people's needs, but then what led me to do that too? Like, why did I turn into this person who wants everybody else to be happy, but I'm not even talking about my own happiness? That's right. People, so many women are people pleasers, um, feeling that they do not have the right to, um, to center their own needs and self-care. Yeah. Even, even to take a bath, to go exercise. Yeah. You know, yeah. just the just the normal everyday sort of stress management stuff to to take ten minutes to yourself to go for a walk. Like, yeah, they don't yeah. feel entitled to it. Yeah, weirdly uh, now with all the you know because we are right in the middle of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, and mm-hmm. so my husband and I are both home, and so sort of balancing needs of exercise and work and dog and all of that. The other day I said to him, well, is it okay if I go out for a walk? And he looked at me and he's like, have I ever said that it wasn't okay? And I'm like, I'm like, no, no, I'm just in this mode of like trying to take care of everybody else because I'm so stressed out. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, so, so much of your work is aimed at empowering women and advocating for feminism. But I feel like the term feminism has kind of, I don't know, lost its true meaning. So I'm hoping you can mm-hmm. I, really define for us what feminism is. Sure. So there's a lot of misconceptions about what feminism is. Uh, Much of the misconceptions are spread by anti-feminists, but some of the misconceptions are spread by feminists, particularly white women who identify as feminists. And the um, major misconception of, of, the, of what feminism is, is that it's women, uh, women's rights to be equal to men. Mm. But feminism is not about women being equal to men, because if feminism was about women being equal to men, which men would we be equal to? Mm. Not all men have access to power and privilege. So if we were to be equal to men, it would be, we would be striving to be equal towards white men who are middle-aged, um, educated, um, you know, a certain uh, heterosexual, a certain class of, of white, you know, middle-aged men. So if, if we're going to be equal to them, who are we oppressing along the way to get yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Such and so, a valid point. Yeah, and so this is the message that mainstream or white feminists have been spreading, and this has really um, marginalized Black women, particularly from uh, from the feminist movement, or not wanting to call themselves feminists, or being rightfully critical of feminism. Yeah, yeah. I so feminism that. is a movement to end sexism and dismantle interlocking systems of oppression. Mm. So we can't 
advocate for equality or ending sexism without working towards ending white supremacy or heterosexism or classism or ableism, right? So the idea of what feminism is about is really dismantling hierarchies and ensuring that everyone has the right uh, to, to access all the resources that they need to live fulfilling, happy lives. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like health insurance and, yes. uh, well, you know, decent paying jobs that give you paid time off for sick leave or whatever. Yeah. 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 And so, so what <clears throat> white feminists have done is maybe like focus on things like closing the wage gap. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's certainly important. We want to do that. But if we're focusing on closing the wage gap only, we're leaving behind all of the women who are working and under, you know, at these very low minimum wage salaries that they can't, they are working two or three jobs, don't ever see their kids and still can't pay the rent. Yeah. Homeownership is, is a fantasy, right? right? So how is that equality? It's not, you know, so, so the message I want to give to women and particularly white women who may be listening is that when you, when you're working as a feminist, living as a feminist, always want to think about who is the marginalized group who's being most affected by this uh, issue mm-hmm. and ensure that whatever work you're doing includes and center, not only includes, but centers that marginalized group. Mm-hmm. Because if we focus our work on marginalized groups, everyone is included. But if we're only focused on equality, what it looks like in our own lives, which may be very privileged, then we leave behind all the other groups and they don't, they don't get lifted up either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting. I I just got your book, so I have not gone through the whole thing, but just the very beginning of um, identifying the areas that you may have privilege that, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, you know, stuff you don't always think about, you know, I'm able-bodied. This is me personally. I'm heterosexual. Um, you know, I'm a middle-aged white, yeah, middle-aged white woman. Like there are areas of privilege that I have, but there's also areas where I am also the minority and 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 not privileged and discriminated against. So we right. all have a combination of those things, depending on. I, I guess we all do. But sure. Um, so, yes, of course. Um, and, and so privilege doesn't mean that our life is easy and things were handed to us. You know, you can still uh, have a lot of privilege and have worked hard your whole life. Um, privilege, you know, but, but, but not perhaps experience sexism. I mean, mm-hmm. racism or, um, you know, discrimination because if you have a disability, those sorts of things. Yeah. So, um, you know, privilege gives us, we have access to resources that other groups don't have access to. And so understanding that, you know, what, what we have and what privileges we have is not available or accessible to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And this has been a major problem with feminism because feminism has not been a perfect movement. There's been a lot of flaws. Uh, We have an opportunity to, to fix that, particularly now since, um, since the Women's March and in the 2016 election, feminism mm-hmm. is now more popular. I don't know that a lot of people still really understand what feminism is, but yeah. but it's becoming more uh, of, a, of an everyday word and people aren't so afraid to identify as feminists as they, as they once were. But the, what we're talking about here is, is, is the mainstream feminists not being intersectional. 
So, and that's a sort of a buzzword that's thrown around. It's not actually mm -hmm. a buzzword, but thrown around as a buzzword um, yes, and right. used incorrectly. So intersectionality um, really means that it's a, it's, you're using a lens or an analysis to understand how different systems of oppression interact and shape our experience. Yeah. So sexism does not look the same for everyone. If we interviewed every woman that we know from different races, classes, um, ability backgrounds, sexual orientation, gender identity, et cetera, our experiences of sexism are going to vary quite differently. And that's is intersectionality. Mm. So mainstream feminists have, have not done a great job of including an intersectional lens, despite over time, many black and lesbian feminists really demanding and calling for intersectionality to be included in the movement. So beginning with Sojourner Truth's uh, speech, anti-woman, you know, demanding to be included. Um, in the 80s, Kimberly Crenshaw, a uh, uh, a law professor and critical race theorist coined the term intersectionality mm -hmm. um, as she was re uh, working on cases, reviewing cases where uh, black women were, were suing their employer for race and gender discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, but the uh, they were losing these lawsuits because you under title seven, you can't sue as a black woman. You can sue as a black person. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Or, or as a woman, but not as a black woman. And that is still true today. Wow. Wow. So you cannot address the fact that there's both, potentially both of those um, parts of your identity could be discriminated against in different ways than a white woman. Yes. Yeah, so you, you or can. Or a black man. Yeah. Yeah. So under Title VII, you can sue for, you can uh, sue for both, but you have to have evidence for both, like in separate, separate categories. Ah, I see. And so it may not, you may, you may be advised, and, and by the way, I'm not a lawyer, so <laughs> this yeah. is my layperson understanding. So um, yeah. you yeah. may be advised by your attorney to, to focus on, you know, based on the evidence that you've gathered. You know, to mm. focus your case uh, on one race, or the other. Or, right, right. Wow. So, so that's still, an, you know, it's still an issue. And then even um, the women's march in the in the last few years had charges of anti-Semitism. So, yeah. you know, we we have not been really great at this, and mm. this is an opportunity um, for us to really look at. Uh, including everyone in the movement and to, to change our understanding of, of what feminism actually means. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of fear around including, right? There's a lot of fear around, you know, well, if I let, you know, as a white person, if I let everybody else in, then I'm losing my power, which it's really not, that's not what it's about, right? It's not about taking power away, but it's about well, it's sharing power. Sharing it's power. Sharing power. Right. Um, but yes, there is a reality to it that you are not going to hold on to your special privileges if you're sharing power. Right. And I think that that is work that white feminists and white women have to really do is, and, and this I see as a therapist, you know, white women have the most in general, the most proximity to white male privilege and white patriarchy yes. in our, you know, we are affected probably most interpersonally 
by white male patriarchy because these are our, our fathers, our brothers, our husbands, sons, you know, all of our family members. And so I feel like we've internalized so much sexism mm. that we don't even see it. And if we, if white women could really work at dismantling that internal misogyny, that internal sexism, then we probably wouldn't need to hang on to the privilege that we get as white women. Because that's the place where a lot of white women feel they have power. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally get that. I mean, it can feel somewhat threatening, and yet I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on, let me rethink that when I, when those feelings come up for myself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's it's a, you know it's ingrained and it's it's um. Um, it's, it's, you know, many of us who are, you know, identify as feminists and liberals and anti-racist, it's, it's not like you just get rid of that, uh, the white privilege um, from your thinking and from your the cells in your body. This is what we're swimming in, you know, what, what we've been living in, in, in our country since its inception. So it right. takes active work to dismantle it, to recognize it, to make, you know, uh, to make different choices and um, yeah. really just see it in ourselves, be willing to see it and change it. Yeah. And not to be too hard on ourselves when it shows up because it's there. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's there. It's <laughs> Absolutely. There. Yeah. And so how are you seeing uh, this white male patriarchy here in the U.S. and elsewhere impacting women's mental health? Because it is, but it feels like it's such a sort of subtle, insidious mm-hmm because it's so present, like you said, it's so ingrained in our culture. Absolutely. So sexism is, is stressful and oppression in itself is a trauma, right? So, yeah. but we are so conditioned to it. We don't always see it, but you know, when you break down, what does sexism look like in everyday life? Um, it can range from experiencing microaggressions um, at home, at work, um, just walking around the neighborhood, being stared at in a certain way, um, uh, street harassment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people are like, what's the big deal about street harassment? And I, I just want to point out that, you know, women never know how to react when someone, uh, when a man uh, approaches us on the street, either comments to us, and this can just be walking around any neighborhood. You know, if we, if we ignore him, he might become enraged and follow us. If we smile and say, thank you, he might follow us. Right. right. <laughs> so we don't know how to act. Uh, and that could be on the metro anywhere. Right. So yeah, that is yeah. stressful. I mean, it's yeah. every day. Yep. Um, sharing household tasks with a straight male partner. This mm-hmm. comes up mostly in heterosexual relationships, but women are still doing most of the labor at home. Even if um, they are working full-time, they're still doing twice the amount of household chores and childcare and mm-hmm. the emo- emotional labor and invisible labor, you know, planning f- uh, food schedules, um, kids' schedules, summer camp schedules, all those things that men are not doing. Yeah. Um, and men do a lot more than they used to. They're doing more than their fathers did. Mm-hmm. But it's still not the same. And this is stressful. And women will come into my office and say, what is wrong with me that I can't get all of this done? 
Yes. Oh my gosh. I hear People that. Well, you're working two jobs. <laughs> right. right. So right. yes. Yeah, yeah. Working two jobs, raising a family, right. Trying to balance it all. Yeah. And also um, our high rates of sexual assault, mm. you know, one in three women are sexually assaulted. Those numbers are even higher for Native American women um, and Alaska Native, Native women uh, because of complex jurisdiction laws. Um, it's, it's not people on the reservations that are sexually assaulting those women and it, it's typically right. men outside the reservations. And so there's, you know, who can sue and who can press charges. Right. But you know, it is a common experience, women, uh, and, and that, I, I just want to, like, pause for a moment for listeners to take that in, that an example of everyday sexism is the real threat of rape and sexual assault for women and girls. Right. That we live with this. We that live this is, with this. That this is a possibility. This mm-hmm. could happen to our daughters, to ourselves, to whoever, mm-hmm. our parents. Yeah. And how we alter our lives every mm. day to ensure our own safety. Yeah. And we just do it. Oh, yeah. Without really thinking, like, I'm doing this because mm-hmm. I want to keep myself safe. It's just mm-hmm. like this has become part of what mm-hmm. we do to live. Right. And if you notice online, this always, uh, I find this upsetting, but there's always some posts being shared about ways to, for women to stay safe, hold your keys in your hand, mm. don't, you know, park under a streetlight, all these things. Like, and, and the other stressor that's part of this is that it's put on us to keep ourselves safe. Right. Right. Instead of the message being, <laughs> yes. men, how do you not feel like it's your right to sexually assault women like how do we change that right and so and now we have the me too movement and now there are people saying well me too has gone too far and i'm just like screaming in my head wait a second we're just asking not to be sexually assaulted or raped or harassed at in you know in the street or at work how is that going too far right so, <laughs> yeah mm mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. How can that be too far? <laughs> yes. And so and so men, you know, are uncomfortable, don't know how to be or what to do. And and I'm like, yes, well, this is how we've been for a long time. So um and right. and if you're not going to rape or sexually assault us, you're gonna be fine. So yes. <laughs> there's nothing for you to worry about. Right. Um, right. Yeah. If you're behaving the way you're supposed to, or you know, yes, the way you're supposed to, then you're good. Yeah. And then, you know, the other aspect of, of how this is stressful for women, I think what's it's being revealed now with um, COVID-19 is um, so it's impacting women's lives at home the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, women who are working and now they're working from home and taking care of the children full time. So not only doing all that she was doing before, but now running a homeschool. <laughs> Right. Oh, <laughs> yes. I can't even um, imagine. Yeah, it's exhausting. Mm. Um, so there's certainly that that aspect of it, as well as um, states are now trying to use uh, social distancing um, as a reason to make abortion non-essential. 
Um, with, oh, I didn't know that. Yes. So, um, the, you know, the message is what they're trying to do is to show that abortion is not medical care, that it's elective. So they're mm. saying it's non-essential. So that, it hasn't actually changed, you know, that hasn't been effective, but they're trying. Some states are trying. Oh, um, my gosh. Wow. Yes, exactly. Um, intimate partner uh, violence victims are stuck at home with their abusers. Yes. Um, yes, yes. And I do want to say, though, shelters are still open. Yes. So yes. That, I have friends know, who work in those areas yeah. of the community and they are still open and struggling to maintain staffing and resources and all of that. Yeah. Right. And, um, and also just, you know, remembering, just looking at any inequality across the board that we're really this social distancing, working from home, and this whole issue is revealing um, the inequities in our society and what isn't working. So for, you know, white collar workers working at home, okay, you're struggling, you know, with your partner and trying to manage everything, but working class people are are losing their jobs. They don't know how they're going to pay their rent. Right. And, you know, and have the kids at home. And get um, medical care if they get and sick. And get medical care, yeah. So these are, you know, like like some of the struggles that that white collar women are having. Okay, they're hard, but then they're, you know, this is real threat to to people's lives and survival. Yeah, yeah, and things like um, well, the schools close, then you know, lots of low income kids aren't going to get their meals. Right. Yes. Well, why are we relying on schools to get kids meals? <laughs> like this is a major social problem. Yeah. Um, these are really uh, very real issues that, that people are, you know, their lives are already hard and, and now their survival is at stake. Yeah. Well, um, and you think about the special ed kids too, who, you know, so, you know, they are potentially mentally or yeah. physically disabled and they need extra resources in these yep. online classrooms can't provide those. So there are these parents who have, these kids are just left at home with no resources at all. I know. And trying to work. System. Yes. Or looking for jobs or trying oh. to figure out how to pay the rent. Yeah. So a lot, mm. a lot of stress. Um, I do want to encourage people. So part of the work in this book is, is obviously to, to do your inner work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, understand there's nothing wrong with you. Do the inner work to, um, now if you stop trying to fix yourself, then you have the energy to, and the, and the internal resources to get involved and help create the world that we want to live in. So for, for people who may be listening, who do have extra time, let's, um, you know, try, try to get involved and, and, and help some of the people who are really, really struggling right now. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in the book, I've got a list of resources of national, you know, agencies that, that people can get involved in. I do recommend for uh, people to choose an issue that's super important to you, do all the research, you know, that you can about it, um, get hooked up with a national organization, you know, work locally, um, make sure that the organization focuses on the needs of the marginalized people. You'll be included. Everyone will be <laughs> included. Right. Um, Right. You know, but to but to get involved, and but this may start with doing some structuring in your own life first. Um, you know, for many people, many women who are just overwhelmed right now and can't even think right. about that. Yeah, right, right. I was going to say sometimes the idea of fixing can feel overwhelming, but I like mm-hmm. the idea of you know sort of honing what you're what you would want to focus on. You know, whatever issue it is, versus yeah. like I have to fix it all. 
you can't. We can't. Yeah, it's too overwhelming. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think people go from, well, how do I get to that place in the future versus how do I just get to this next step? Like tomorrow, I'm going to do some research or tomorrow, you know, I'm going to make space in my, t- my schedule to think about where I would like to focus my energy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you said you have resources in the book for people in terms of mm-hmm. organizations to get involved in. Mm-hmm. But if there were something, a message that, you know, or a tip or a particular resource that you felt was important for the audience to know, what might that be? So, you know, some of the practical tips, uh, there's a lot of, you know, exercises in the book and stuff. So my my goal is to get, is to have women do that work before they're you know, so they have the time and energy to do the organizational work. So, but starting right where you are today, number one, understanding it's not you, it's the patriarchy, write it down, remember it, store it in your brain so that Mm. you stop trying to question and and fix yourself constantly. And then, you know, another real strong practical tip is setting boundaries. (laughs) Um, You know, speaking, uh, you know, boundaries are a way for you to communicate what you need, what you want, and a way for you to actually say yes. It's not just about saying no, it's about saying yes to more of the things that you need and want in your life. Mm. And, you know, you can set boundaries. Um, they don't have to, you know, our, our idea as women setting boundaries means that you are aggressively shouting no at someone. <laughs> um, <laughs> and sometimes that's necessary, but in the context of work and our relationships, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you, it's more that you're, you're communicating, um, naming clearly, first of all, what, what you'd like changed giving an example of something that you liked, that you would like change. Um, uh, So for instance, um, you know, telling your partner, and I see this with my clients that they will not, it's so interesting to me, even though they know that their husband is not helping Mm. and he can and should help, won't ask. Yes. Will not ask. Yeah. And you need to ask, just say, listen, I'm overwhelmed. And, and it's, and, and when you, uh, and I need you to do blah, 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 so I can feel less overwhelmed. Yes. And have a very specific, like to me, what's helpful, what's I found helpful is have a thing, like not just I'm overwhelmed, help me because they might then help in a place I don't want them to help. Exactly. (laughs) Be clear about what you need, what it is. Right. You know, listen, when you, when you, uh, um, when you cook again after after we've had dinner or something, you leave the dishes. I wake up; it's overwhelming. So, mm. you know, this could be for a teenager too, right? So, oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, I I want you. To, so please do the dishes. You know, just be clear about it and keep at it. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. And the other thing is to not. You don't have to explain why you're setting boundaries. Uh, you don't have to defend your boundary, but you can always negotiate the consequence of a boundary. Mm. You know, because like when that. we, yeah, when we set boundaries with people, sometimes it does have an effect on them and they might be like, well, wait, I, I, you know, if I do that, then this is going to happen. So, you know, it's fine to, to talk that out and work out a solution, you know, where it's not too uncomfortable for the other person, but you're still getting what you need. Yeah. 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 That it can be a negotiation sometimes. Yeah. Right. The consequence of the boundary, not setting the boundary. So right. I have to say that because women, 
will say, you know, they, they go right back to, but I don't have a right to setting boundaries. And you do. That is true. That is true. It's very easy to say, well, my needs don't matter. <laughs> right? Like if, <laughs> exactly. If, if I'm speaking up for my needs and I'm making other people uncomfortable, then it's better not to just say what I need. Exactly. Is not true. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Joanne, I so appreciate your uh, coming on the podcast. I'm excited to dig deeper into your book, The Feminist Handbook, but how do people find you if they want to know more about your book or the work that you do? How do they find you? Sure. So please uh, find my website, joannebagshaw.com. You can sign up for my newsletter and you can follow me either on Facebook, Dr. Joanne Bagshaw, or Instagram. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for being a guest. I'm very excited to uh, share this conversation with the world. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. So I really enjoyed that conversation with Joanne. She and I recorded the, the conversation at the end of March. So before the death of George Floyd and... Brianna Taylor and before the demonstrations. So it feels even more relevant today, although I think that we need to be having these conversations every day because racism, sexism, ableism is, uh, continues to be pr problematic in our white patriarchal country culture. It's so deeply embedded that we do lose sight of, I lose sight, we as white people easily lose sight of our privilege. And so conversations around privilege and how we can do things differently are really important. I wanted to share a quote from Joanne's book, The Feminist Handbook, Practical Tools to Resist Sexism and Dismantle the Patriarchy. She says, a key concept in dismantling the patriarchy is recognizing privilege when you see it or experience it and finding ways to not participate in the patriarchal system and to stand up for others who are oppressed. Your first step in making privilege visible is to identify where in your life you are privileged and to reflect honestly on how you benefit from privilege and how your actions or inaction may contribute to the oppression of other groups as well as to the patriarchy. Non-judgmental mindfulness is a tool that can help you reflect on and connect with the places in your life where you, where you experience privilege. And I know that my mindfulness practice has helped me be more aware of and identify those privileges and that internalized racism that pops up through assumptions about people, about behaviors, about my community sometimes. So um, I think mindfulness is an amazing tool. It also helps us learn how to pause and listen. Listen to our mistakes. Listen to when we're being told maybe that we're being racist and it's hard to hear that mindfulness and grounding can really, really help. So I hope you'll check out Joanne's book and maybe follow her on Facebook and Instagram. 
Um, I hope to have her back on the podcast sometime in the near future. And I hope you will be mindful of your privilege if you're white or whatever your privileges are in our society and look to ways where we as a culture can begin to speak up and and create a more equitable anti-racist society. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Ciao for now from This Woman Warrior. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the Woman Warriors podcast. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guests' profiles at womanwarriors.com. Thank you.